How are you? How's it going? How are you doing? How many times do we ask people those questions? Or how many times do we get asked those questions? What are those questions really asking? For all sense and practical purposes, they become more or less just a trite form of greeting. But if we were going to literally ask ourselves, what are those questions really driving at? They're asking how we're feeling. How are you doing? How's it going? These are questions that are really asking us about our emotions. How do we answer these questions? Are we saying, well, good? Are we being honest? True or false? Today on the dojo, we're going to get into emotions. Welcome to the dojo. So today on the dojo, we are continuing to pull on the thread of the episode that we started with on suffering, my observations about it. The next episode went into the inter-citadel. And then last time we talked about some stoic philosophies on resilience, uh, how to live a really resilient life in the midst of suffering. And this is all predicated on that, you know, idea that the observations that I'm having in my personal and professional life that people seem to be struggling more often. The inner citadel was really predicated on, you know, this conceptual framework in which if we can really build a very strong fortress, uh, which is, you know, founded on good values and principles. And for my inner citadel, one of the biggest you know, most important things were, what are those walls? And and for me, the wall of being a learner was the, the load-bearing wall that rests on the value and virtue of humility. But the other walls, one wall that we talked about last time was on Stoic philosophy. There's another wall for my inner citadel there on Eastern philosophy. And the wall that we're going to get into today is more or less the world of psychology. And what does the world of psychology have to, you know, teach me about, you know, how to you know, have a strong inner citadel and, and fortitude to really endure and have resilience in life where there, you know, I do encounter suffering and hardships uh, and adversity and, and how to go through them. For me, the, the field of psychology, it's pretty vast. If you look at the history of it from evolutionary psychology through like psychology that was really founded on the neuroses of the human condition, like Freud and Carl Jung and, and many of those others, uh, to more modern psychology and uh, positive psychology. And for me, and my understanding of it, and what it's really getting at is our emotions and our feelings and how it's important for us to really understand them, to be able to move through them in a way that's very healthy. And of course, like any field, there's mixed results you know, with psychology and its treatments. I've talked often about cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of couched in the field of psychology, but also has its roots in philosophy. And, you know, from, from what I'm sharing today, again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatric, uh, you know, person that has any credentials or expertise in that. Again, it's this is my lay understanding of psychology and how it's really helped to, to help me through my life and in, in processing some of my emotions and, you know, going through the adversities that I have in my life 
So uh, why emotions? Why am I talking about emotions? For me, I got to say that I think this is perhaps one of the most powerful dimensions of the human condition. I talk a lot about how interested I am in the physical elements of, of life. You know, I'm really into physical activity and nutrition and, and sleep. Being a learner, like I mentioned earlier, that's one of my big walls in the inner citadel and, and always seeking to learn more. Uh, so the mental part, very important. But man, I got to say the emotions for me is like the driver of really what it, the life is all about. I, I think about the decisions that I've made throughout my life and how my feelings have really been the fundamental part of what I decide to do or not to do. And I think about that in humanity, you know, emotions, you know, drive us to, to get married, to get divorced for, you know, you look at, it's been, you know, our emotions have been the causes of war or the causes for peace. You know, it's de- determines where we live, you know, what we study, where we work. Like I was mentioning, you know, emotions or when you go back to the episode on nutrition, it's one of the biggest factors in what we eat or don't eat or if we overeat, you know, emotions can drive our physical activity, can drive our sleep patterns. It is for me this like this fundamentally really the essence of what it means to be human in many ways, not to say that other animals haven't demonstrated emotions. Any of us that have a pet dog, you know, can tell us, you know, that they certainly have uh, emotions as well. But the, the human condition is, is just, you know, one of the, I think the hallmarks of it is uh, emotions. And when we look at evolutionary like psychology, you know, it's said that emotions happen before language development happened within humans. And there was a need for humans to communicate through emotions because language hadn't been developed yet. And for us to be able to understand the emotions of another human being without language is wired into us. And sometimes, you know, even in our modern life, when we do have language, can't you just like pick up when somebody is anxious or stressed or relaxed or angry or happy or fearful you can't, I mean, like without even being able to, to hear the, the, the verbal language, we can often pick up on this. And, it, and that was needed back then to survive, to be able to communicate, you know, when there was danger or when, you know, when it was time, you know, to connect and, and to be relaxed and to, to let our guard down. The evolutionary psychologists, you know, look at uh, emotions. They, they've come up and I've mentioned this on the podcast before with this idea of the motivational triad that we are our nervous system is wired to seek pleasure, to avoid pain, and to spend the least amount of energy achieving those two things. Seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, and expending the least amount of energy in doing that. Those are the three-legged stools of the emo- uh, the motivational triad. And that's all emotions, right? Like wanting to feel pleasure, wanting to you know avoid anything that's painful, and, and to be able to do that with the least amount of energy involved is all baked into our evolutionary wiring of emotions. And then I think about, well, okay, what does that mean in terms of our modern day emotions and stress? And, and certainly this is a podcast about disability. So, you know, what are the emotional connections with disabilities, people with disabilities have additional challenges in life often. So that can obviously play a, a part of it. And, and we've mentioned on the podcast before, the clinical depression rate among people who have disabilities is around 35% compared to 15% of people without disabilities. You know, our modern challenges are 
you know, say the, the economy right now uh, and inflation, you know, work-life family balance challenges that many people have, the amount of cultural and societal changes that are happening, the technological advancements and disruptions that are happening. Of course, we just are going through a, a pandemic with all kinds of uncertainty that's been wrapped around that, the environmental changes that are happening and seeming to be happening at an exponential rate. Huge, like all these different forces that are enacting themselves upon us and what impact is it having on our emotions? And we think about like just the the, the modern communications that are out there uh, with social media, the virality of emotions. So if we can pick up on emotions from other people and now we got this amplification of the technologies of social media to be able to send emotionally emotions virally through the media it's just man so we're we got this evolutionary wired kind of feature about us and now we compound that with technology and social media it's just an uh, you know it's an interesting to see how these primal forces are really being leveraged through our our modern technologies and and this is no our emotions are no stranger to consumerism you know, think about how many products, goods, and services are really tapping into our emotions. There's a lot of advertising that's out there that will convince us that we're lacking something in our lives, and maybe we are then triggered emotionally. And then from that triggering, we're then offered a product or service that's going to make us feel more fulfilled you know, to help f- fill in that emotional void or that uh, gap. You know, the private you know, sector that's trying to capitalize on these kind of things are very attuned into how to leverage our emotions in order to sell things. And then think about politics. You know, I think about the, the biggest kind of things that we've seen on stage. Think about the last couple of presidential elections that we've had in our country. The couple uh, of them ago was the emotions of hope for a better for a better world. And then the emotions of, you know, trying to bring the things back to the good old days. How often is anger used in our politics, right? To get angry about the conditions of the world um, and how those kind of emotions are often leveraged. So, you know, in our politics, it's not just necessarily about facts anymore and and really with the reality of a situation but it's more about tapping into the emotions and the psyche of people in order to get things done so you know we think about our modern world and through the lens of 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 emotions and how they're leveraged in, in these kind of terms it's interesting in the field of psychology they'll they'll say even though like you know in our country in the united states of america where we are living in in a modern age and a modern time and for a lot of us the, the modern stresses, you know, the modern challenges to our emotions can be first world order, you know, like, okay, so that, you know, maybe the, the traffic is, is getting me upset. Oh, my cell phone just died at the worst time possible. I was just in a important conversation or I was using, you know, GPS to navigate around or, you know, I got work, you know, stresses that are stressing me out and, and, and or, you know, it's school and, you know, the challenges of school. Uh, you know, social relationships might be pretty difficult. Again, like, you know, these uh, might not be the you know most pressing and challenging compared to other places in the world where people are going through much more significant challenges to their emotions. But nonetheless, in the field of psychology and, you know, the health sciences, they say that the these everyday challenges uh, related to like first world problems 
can shave an average of almost 10 years off of our life, that it leads to premature aging of our cells and, and the conditions that you know, our physiology are in, you know, it can quite literally be destructive to our DNA, shredding our telomeres on our chromosomes and, and aging our bodies much faster than it need be. And, and so even though this might not be the saber-toothed tiger that uh, is causing all kinds of fear and emotional distress in us, these everyday low-grade but consistent and chronic stresses that we have and the impact that it's having on our emotions can quite literally be shaving years off of our life. So again, why should we be paying attention to emotions? These are huge reasons why the World Health Organization has now identified depression as the leading cause of disability, ahead of heart disease, ahead of cancer. The World Health Organization said it's depression. And again, tied to emotions, Look at the suicide rates that have gone up over the last 10 years. They're they are sad, they're shocking, and it's across almost all age groups now, You know, particularly in the young, but uh, seeing this in, in, in late adulthood even. Now, the Americans with Psycho- Psychological Association you know, came out with their annual survey of stress and, and it showed that you know, stress levels are just compared from the last few years are, are going through the roof, people showing signs of trauma, going through the these modern stresses that I just were talking about here. And so again, why should we be paying attention to to our emotions? Um, well those those are huge. And and when we look at our physiology, you know, what's happening when we're going through you know emotional distress, well that you know stress response. We had a whole episode on stress um, uh, not too long ago, a few months ago, when we talked about the stress response. So when we have heightened emotions, it can lead to a very predictable physiological response, the general adaptation stress response system. What's known in layman's terms about this is our body's preparing you know, to, to fight or to flee. And oftentimes we freeze. So fight, flee, or freeze uh, is often how we might you know, respond to emotions. What happens in our brain regarding emotions. Well, emotions and thoughts are very tied together. And when we look at the brain and, and where thinking happens, it's in the you know prefrontal cortex, executive functioning and, and thoughts, uh, reasoning and logic and, and all these other kind of things. Well, where do our emotions happen? They happen in a different reason in their brain, the amygdala. And, and often what happens is, is these two Different parts of the brain could be in contradiction to one another and, and often become in highly charged emotional states. It shuts down the prefrontal cortex part of our brain and uh, vice versa. You know, we can sometimes leverage our prefrontal cortex to help regulate emotions and to really think through them logically. And what is there, like 60,000 thoughts, different thoughts, or not different, but thoughts that we have throughout the day, most of them repetitive and robotic and automatic. And, and so we have like these loops that our nervous system uh, happens to be on. And, the, you know, again, like a thought is a neuron firing in the brain. And if we're having these very repetitive, uh, robotic, automatic thoughts that we're having, those neurons are, that are firing are wiring together and become, you know, kind of these loops that the psychologist, Dr. Stephen David, would say that become these hooks that we get hooked onto and we become addicted to these mental, emotional thought patterns that we get into and become eventually addicted to our own thinking, which leads to feeling and to different thoughts that we have. So thinking is, and emotions are very closely uh, wired together. And 
You know, this is why I find the field of psychology to be very important and impactful when really being able to understand emotions and, and from our evolution to our physiology, the psychology of emotions and, and the area of psychology. For me, um, I'm becoming coming at this from an angle that psychology provides, you know, kind of the groundwork and foundations to be able to really better understand how to best process emotions in a healthy way. You know, how can the emotions that I'm having, you know, serve me? One of the things that I'm learning is that treating really emotions as data points. If I have a specific emotion based on perhaps a thought or a feeling, or does the emotion cause a thought or a feeling, I can get into this chicken or the egg on that one. But for me, if I can really examine my emotions as data points, that's very helpful. You know, my emotions are trying to signal something to me. They almost, for me, serve as a compass, like a lighthouse to help direct me if I pay attention to them. You know, it can give me information about, do I need to change the way that I'm thinking and perceiving? So is my thought patterns that are leading to this emotions? What, what is it about my thinking that perhaps needs to change or the way that I see the world or see others or see myself? You know, are these emotions telling me that I need to change that blueprint of how I see things in order to, to best understand what these emotions are signaling to me, this data that's coming in? Does it, these emotions, you know, are they telling me that I need to, to change my behavior and the, the, the way that I'm proceeding? You know, oftentimes it's said, that emotions follow behavior. So if I want to feel better, I need to do something. For instance, maybe I need to go take a walk. Maybe I need to go do the work that I'm feeling stress or anxiety about doing. And, and so that you know, behavior, you know, emotions can often follow behavior. So our emotions are data, can be a helpful compass to point me in the right directions of either changing the way that I, I perceive things or the way that I'm proceeding, the way that I'm behaving. You know, most identify, for me, it's really important to just identify, specifically identify the emotion that I'm having. And this is a new one for me. Not being so general about maybe saying that I'm stressed or that I'm upset. Like that, that's almost too general of describing my emotions. I'm learning from psychology that it's super important to actually be very specific and nuanced in identifying the emotion that I'm feeling. Don't just say I'm upset. Don't just say I'm stressed. Don't just say, oh, I'm suffering, right? The whole episode's on suffering. This whole series that I've been talking about is pulling on that thread. But even that can be much more too generic than how it could be very important in identifying the emotions that I'm feeling. So when I talk about emotions in this context, I'm talking about what would be considered a negative emotions which can be very important, again, an indicator that I need to change the way I'm thinking or the way that I'm changing and perceiving. But I'm going to list off some what can be considered uh, negative emotions. And, and why, why would it be important to be, get this granular in, in naming it, going beyond, oh, I'm stressed, going beyond, oh, I'm just upset, and, and to naming them? Well, as I name these, think about the different energy levels that they have to them. For me, there's different levels of energy that are associated with some of these. And, and I'll circle back on on what I mean by this as I name these, but some very uh, specific ways of naming uh, being upset or being stressed would be fear, uncertainty, anger, contempt, resentment, hatred, loneliness, insecurity, sadness, disappointment, regret, guilt, shame, boredom, 
These are just a few very specifically named emotions. And for me, there is an energy that is associated with anger and sadness that for me is a different level of energy. For me, like anger, I can feel a lot of welling up of emotions, like have a lot of emotions. Sadness is depressive. I feel like I can't do much when I'm de- you know, sad and depressed. When I feel guilty or shameful versus uh, feeling bored. These things can have different levels of energy. And, and I think it's been said, and I don't know if it's true, uh, but the word origin of emotions is the E part means energy and the M part means motion. Like So it's like maybe perhaps even baked into it. And, and so what do we do with these like negative types of different emotions? Well, naming them is, is very important from what I understand in the field of psychology. And, and often for me, coming up with the right vocabulary to identify the emotion is a very important starting place in being able to process the emotions in a healthy way. Um, and I'm going to start now talking about very basic ways of processing emotions, which is going to be leading into the next episode where we're going to get very granular about it and exactly what the field of psychology and modern psychology today is telling us about how the best and healthiest way to process these quote-unquote negative emotions are. And one of the first ones is is to not always consider the negative emotions are negative. Again, they could be very informative in telling us that we need to change the way we're thinking, change the way we're proceeding, that it's a natural part of the human condition to have these negative emotions. Yeah, we don't want to have them. Um, We would rather not have them. But because of that, don't just think positive, for example. Like, oh, I have a negative thought. Well, just think happy and positive thoughts. In the field of psychology, especially modern psychology, it's thought that this is one of the worst recipes for treating negative emotions. Is, is no, don't do that. It's, it's, it's a form of denial. Um, it actually stuffing down emotions that will eventually come out later in, in less healthy and less productive ways. So name it, identify it, but don't run from it. The idea is, is that we're not going to be ever free necessarily from having those negative emotions, but we could be free while having those negative emotions from having them to be able to take us down. And we'll talk in the next episode uh, about exactly, you know, how to do that. But two ways that a lot of people deal with negative emotions is first bottling them up. And that's kind of what I was pointing to, you know, just stuff them down, don't feel them, ignore them. And uh, almost like pretending that they're not there, throw ourselves into workaholism, distraction, can be through a screen, alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs, gossiping, complaining, or blaming would be the other form, which is brooding over them, you're venting about them, wallowing in them. So you got one end, which could be bottling up emotions, the other end, which could be brooding over the emotions. And somewhere in between, and we'll get into this in the next episode, is the way to process them in a very, much more uh, a healthy way. For me, you know, when I, when I do have these negative emotions, I am wanting to run from them. I don't want to feel them. I would rather feel happy, of course. If you have a choice, it's choosing happiness. But you know, at the same time, if I'm um, not at peace with my non-peace, there's no space for growth there. You know, oftentimes I'll catch myself you know, saying, oh, I shouldn't feel sad or I shouldn't feel bored or I shouldn't feel disappointed or I shouldn't feel guilt or I shouldn't feel shame or I shouldn't feel regret. What am I doing? I'm shitting all over myself. 
and, and there's no room for growth there. And, and instead, having a much more non-judgmental, compassionate perspective and recognizing that, you know, emotions are very natural and is part of the human condition. It's very important to, to be easy on ourselves because then we can have that space to be very interested in why we're feeling these emotions, asking questions about why we might be having these emotions. Because if I'm just, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, not examining, not getting interested in why I'm feeling these emotions, not detaching from these emotions and and detaching from our emotions and becoming interested about why we might be feeling what we do is super important. And one of the best ways to, to detach from our emotions, to examine them, in a way, is to by disidentifying ourselves from these emotions. For instance, if we're going through feeling sad, instead of saying, I am sad, again, very two powerful words, I am. Whatever comes next, we're commanding ourselves in that very same way. Instead of saying, I am sad, saying, I am noticing that I am feeling sad. Big difference in those two very, can sound nuanced, but very, very much different. So thinking about that inner monologue that's always going, be careful of I am statements. I am sad. I am bored. I am guilty. I am shameful. I am disappointed. I am angry. Instead of saying, I am noticing that I am feeling sad. I am noticing that I am feeling angry. I am noticing that I am feeling shameful. Big difference, nuanced in it sounds, but it could really help to disidentify from the emotions to get to a place where we can, you know, have some compassion for ourselves, to become curious about why we might be having those, and then leaning into those negative emotions with courage. Looking into them instead of out of them uh, and away from them is, is is a very important process for exactly how we can get out of the, these emotions that can ultimately lead us to getting hooked on them. You know, what does that mean by getting hooked on them? Well, getting hooked on our emotions would mean that we often will generate a story that we tell ourselves about the emotional states we're in. So what's a hook? A hook is something that we're like songwriters. You know, we'll talk about, you know, what's the hook on the song? What's the catchy part of the song that's going to get stuck in people's heads? And, and that's the way emotions can be. They can be like if you've ever had a song stuck out in your head that you can't get out of your head, well, you know, these negative thought patterns or these negative emotions that can be just hooks that we can get stuck inside of ourselves, it's along those same kind of lines. And where do these hooks come from? It often comes from the, the story we tell ourselves about the emotions that we're feeling. And these stories can be very subjective. It can come from an objective event that might have happened can come from you know a circumstance that did happen in our life that we might have had an accident where we acquired a disability and that is very objective that certainly did happen but what we intend to do is we then start layering you know subjective interpretations about that event like it was the worst thing that's ever happened to me my life will never be the same again I'll never have friends I'll never be able to work I'll never be able to be educated I'll always be stigmatized these things, while are, are very subjective, and we could be layering these subjective interpretations of an objective event that becomes our own self-narrative story of our lives, and then we it's a self-fulfilling prophecy or leads to ways of seeing ourselves, seeing others, seeing the world that has a very powerful hook uh, that we buy into. 
And one of the things that we'll get into the next episode is how do we get unhooked? How do we rewrite the subjective narratives that we've been telling ourselves about these objective events in a way that's going to serve us and be more positive and, and uplifting for us to do? But first, it takes a lot of examination into the questions that I opened up with in this episode. How are you doing? How is it going? How are you? Be really honest in answering these questions, even if it's just to yourself. Not detrite, robotic, knee-jerk. I'm doing well. I'm doing great. It's important that we take ownership. I take ownership over truly how I'm feeling. And being compassionate with myself and non-judgmental about myself if it my answer happens to fall in the list of those negative emotions, naming it, claiming it, because that's going to be an important part of what we get into the next episode, is how do we move through these negative emotions in a way that serves us, in a way that teaches us how to perceive life better, how to make better choices for how we speak, how we behave, how we conduct ourselves. These quote-unquote negative emotions can be the best teachers for us in living the independent life, being the best version of ourselves possible, a life that is out there for us, but we can't run from these emotions. We can't wallow in these emotions. We've got to like name them, claim them, and look in at them so that we can move through them in the best way possible. And, and again, I am saying everything here where it all starts with me first. I'm learning as I go through this myself. I am not an expert in this uh, at all. It's just what I'm, you know, my life experiences. And, and, and to this point right now, what I am saying here is uh, as much for myself, more for myself than it is for anyone else listening at this time. And, you know, for me, uh, having a better understanding of how I'm feeling and, and my emotions and, and, and leaning into them and not running from them and not wallowing in them is, is helping me become a better version of myself. And I know when I can do this, I can be better supportive of other people who are counting on me in my life to help them. And so that's my hope for all of us is that we take an honest stock and account of actually how we're feeling you know, observing those things that aren't super positive in ourselves and looking for that as important data points, our compass for figuring out how we can live a better life onward and upward. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.